0: The summer break has started with a bang, but Grid Talk won't be sending you selfies from Oviedo. We plough on to bring you more great F1 content all the way through the summer break and all the way to Spa. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Grid Talk podcast. This is episode 221, and today on F1 Fireside, we've got a great show lined up for you. We'll be delving into the technical updates for the first half of the season, as well as joining in with all the tabloid gossip surrounding Silly Season. My name is Tom Horrocks, and today I'm joined once again by Autosports' Jake Box leg Hi, Jake. Thanks for coming on again.
1: Thanks for having me. Apparently, people didn't hate me
0: the first time, so I'm more than happy to be to be back on and to talk rubbish about tech once again, and a little bit more. Fantastic. And your, your Formula E secondment's going well, I hear. And uh, uh, what's it like being the electric Ted Kravitz?
1: Uh, it, it's interesting. I don't know about Ted Kravitz because I definitely don't turn up wearing sandals, but, <laughs> um, you know, it's been a really fun year. You know, it's like, Honestly, it's the first time I've worked at Paddock by myself this year since about, I think, 2017, 2018. So it's just nice to be kind of back in the dojo, get in the swing of it, be the news guy and, you know, wind the drivers up with uh, with my stories, which oh, is always fantastic. fun. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah, I bit. I've not. I kept as close an eye on it as last year, as uh, to, to this year. I've kind of caught up with mm-hmm. most of it. I've missed the last couple of races, but the rest of it's been uh, been pretty good. But before we get into that, I just want you all to hit pause on the podcast and go and leave us a five star rating on Spotify. You can also leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That helps us climb the ratings, and we'll even give you a shout out on the next show if you do that for us. As well as these fireside chats, you should know by now that we do live previews and reviews of every race weekend live on YouTube and on all major audio podcasts platforms too. Just search for F1 Chronicle or go to F1Chronicle.com to find out more. So listeners don't worry, we're going to get to the tabloid gossip later. I know you're itching to get to that, but we're just going to uh, feed you the, the the vegetables to start with and, and we're going to go through the, the tech side of things. So we'll start with the team who are currently last in the standings, Williams, with just a three points. A big philosophy change as well so far this season. How have you seen things develop for Williams this year? It's been really interesting because obviously coming into the season we were expecting some degree of convergence
1: with the new regulations because it is a bit of a general overview, I think it was really important for a lot of the other teams that they saw what everybody else was doing because everyone went into it blind. Nobody knew what the best avenue was. And I think the biggest overall change in philosophy, as you say, has been Williams in that it came... To pre-season testing in the first few rounds with these very, very small side pods. They almost look like just like little scoops either side. And then they sort of had it, it folded back into this rounded bodywork. And it was a very interesting concept. You can kind of see what they were trying to do with it aerodynamically. And it wasn't too far afield from the uh, what we eventually saw from the Mercedes, which I'm sure we'll get onto it a bit. Mm. I think a lot of that is partly down to what the re- cooling requirement of the Mercedes is, what That, you know, what the powertrain needs to work and and how it fits within the car. But then we got to a point later in the season where Williams decided this might not be the best route for us. So they completely changed the side pods and bodywork and that kind of thing. And it's a lot more in line with what we saw from Red Bull earlier this season. We're starting to see teams go back to the 90s and have these squarer side pods, which is on it for me as a a devout uh, 1997 to 1999 fan of F1. It's brilliant because we're seeing these cars sort of look like retro futuristic concepts. It's really, really cool to see and to see them go with these slab-sided side pods Williams, one of the teams that has binned off uh their old concept to do that. Again, it's a really clear sea change in what they're trying to do. I think what a lot of teams are doing, and I I will use Williams as kind of the example for this Mm. and a lot of other teams, you will see sort of similarities with them. You can try and you can, you can see basically what the aerodynamicists are trying to do with that front wheel wake because over the off season, we lost barge boards. We lost all of those complicated bits of furniture around the side pod inlet and so the teams don't have anything to work with there. They've also got to try and protect the floor because the Venturi tunnels are sort of very, very sensitive. And they've got all of these changes in the front wing. They do have the wheel deflector on top of the wheels. But once, you know, you're still getting wake shed off the tire. It's still very turbulent and very, very unpredictable. It's like trying to unstitch a ball of wool that your cat might have completely knotted up or something like that. And so all of these flow conditioning devices are there to try and untangle that. But because they don't have them anymore, they've got to use the front face of the side pods and the actual side pod body to kind of do that and provide that interaction.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And having those very very small side pods you don't have that interaction for quite as long whereas with these longer side pods you have this sort of clear direction of what they're trying to do with airflow. So around the sides they're trying to sort of just Give it a sort of bouncing off point and and work it around the side pods over the top. You can see it ramps down and they're trying to bring airflow to the floor. So that's the Williams change basically, and we saw it in it was Silverstone with with Alex Albon, and then he got wiped out in the turn one mm. fracar, let's say. So Williams didn't really have much of a chance to to go through it. So uh, they had to go again in, in Austria. And now you know it seems to have the experiment seems to have worked. So they're now running both cars with it, but as you say yeah it's a very very interesting change in how they're packaging the car you know some bits have been made bigger so other bits can be made smaller it's this sort of fine balancing act and it's yeah i think it's one of the sort of bigger changes that we've that we've seen
0: yeah i was going to ask you your thoughts on whether you thought it had worked or not because to the naked eye just just watching in Williams' results haven't improved and they haven't scored a point with this new philosophy yet but you're of the opinion it's definitely in the right direction then I think so i think we
1: forget i think the expectation on williams was it would pick up from where it did last year and basically you know go PA or higher um what people kind of forget is you know williams has had an entirely new tech team to come in everything's still being bedded in They're still undoing a lot of damage that was done over sort of 2017 2018 so there's a lot of work they need to do and the investment is, you know, it's there, but it's not going to provide overnight gains. But it does seem like a step in the right direction. If you look at the time deltas, for example, compared to last year relative to the, sorry, uh, the first race relative to the front. And now, um, you know, it's you know, probably about second that Williams have found over the course of the season. The fact that they're still at the back does kind of identify
0: how far they were behind. But,
1: you know, it seems again, it seems to be going in the right direction.
0: You know, it just kind of emphasises what a good job Alex Alban did to get those points in the early part of the season as well. But a team that's that's not achieved anywhere near as much as we we're expecting from them. Aston Martin, twenty points, ninth in the championship. They were the first team to break cover at the uh, at the start of the year, and again a similar mid-season philosophy change. Um, how is the pear flavoured Red Bull shaping up? And is it really as similar to the Red Bull as people are saying?
1: Funnily enough, after that the car came out i did i went through a supermarket and i did see it i did see a, a can of green red bull and i was like i wonder what it tastes like i, did, I never bought it <laughs> um so, but uh i imagine it, it tastes horrible as they will do yes. uh, <laughs> but it was a really fascinating change because at the start of the season they were kind of Two or three philosophies, I think. There was the Red Bull kind of lead one that Alpine, I guess, was part of. And Ferrari, to a degree, Ferrari's got their own spin on it, but it's having, as I say, these sort of very square side pods to do something with the airflow. And then you had what Alfa Romeo had and Aston Martin had, where you had this very pronounced undercar and a sort of very flat, top so that they could use that as a big surface for for cooling and things like that and then you had the sort of uh williams mercedes approach i guess a strange move for, for aston martin to kind of depart from what mercedes was doing and what williams was doing with the same powertrain package uh, mclaren was sort of in the middle i guess of of, of every metric uh with regards to their shape yeah but it does seem that aston martin his concept didn't work, and they were very, very open at the start of the season. They said, "We've got a car that's deliberately, let's say, flexible, so that we can adapt to the prevailing trends. That we mm-hmm. can sort of go with, the, go with the wind a little bit and see what works best." And it seemed that the Red Bull concept did work the best, but it, it also seems that Aston Martin had a concept in mind for that. So I think I have a feeling obviously they were cleared of any untoward behavior and and, and copying of designs and anything like that. But I have a feeling that they just had a number of designs prepared and it just so happened that the one that worked was really, really similar to uh, possibly the best design. You know, I think it's just ultimately a coincidence. The update seems to have worked a little bit, but I don't necessarily know if the car is bedded in. I I think it, it seems to be sort of up towards the points more often than not. It's just in qualifying, it seems to be really unpredictable. Sebastian Vettel can get the lap times out of it. Sometimes he can't. Lance Stroll is sort of also just, in that just boat. there, isn't he? Just
0: kind of yeah. average and yeah, just kind of doing what the car is capable of doing just about. And then he got said <laughs> with the peaks and troughs. Yeah, exactly. So I think it's,
1: it, it feels like a kind of baseline car that other seasons are going to kind of fit into it. Give it's, it's a bit of a Swiss army knife in that kind of sense in that mm. it can. They, they've built it so that it can do anything, but it can't really do one thing particularly, I would say, better than everybody else. So It's a bit of a difficult position to be in for them.
0: It's a bit like a, a split strategy in a race, where like, you, you've, you've got two or three different strategies in a race, and that, that's kind of like what they've done for a whole season, just kind of like, oh, we'll try and cover all the bases, and in the end, they haven't really covered any of them. They're just lucky that Williams are so bad at the moment, seemingly. Yeah, I think think so uh that does sound a lot like a ferrari strategy actually Um, (laughs) but uh
1: yeah it's it's been difficult because obviously trying to recover from last year when they had a good baseline car but the rules changes really hurt them aston kind of needed to come back in a big way uh, and make an impact just disappointing um things
0: happen but you know it's not where they need to be right now Moving on to 8th to place then AlphaTauri lie 8th in the standings with 27 points a great looking car as you kind of expect from a fashion brand but uh, how can they be so far off Red Bull when they're allegedly this this sister team and oh no, I know there's no kind of transfer of IP or anything like that but you'd think with similar brains working on the projects they'd come up with uh, with something at least comparable to the Red Bull Well it's really interesting because they started off the season in a really good place and Pierre Gasly
1: looked it's on for a good result, and then uh, is 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 power unit packed up in Bahrain, and they had these reliability issues at the start of the season. But the car looked quick. The problem is, it's not moved on. They've brought you know little bits and, and changes and here and there, but nothing up until uh, France at least has really kind of. Brought the team forward, and it's weird. It's kind of like the antithesis to Haas, in that Haas has not really brought anything, and they've kind of stayed on a pretty even keel. AlphaTauri sort of brought these little bits, and you know, new front wing and bits and pieces in Imola, uh, new floor as well, and then coming up to France with a, a, a bigger upgrade package of, of new floor, new bodywork, that kind of thing to try and get more pace out of the car. It's not a bad car, and and Pierre Gasly has said, you know, it it's it's nice to drive it feels good it's just not very quick and they just seem to be really struggling with how to turn it on i don't know whether it's just got a really narrow operating window or it's just not very quick we said at the stage but it's it's a bit of a curate's egg it's uh, it's an interesting one because it doesn't seem to be sort of any clear let's say point that they need to work on other than just finding speed
0: out of it and Yuki Snowder just five points off Pierre Gasly, whereas this time last year he was being like having his rear end completely handed to him. Do you think this is uh, a, a feature of the car not being as good or is Snowder getting, getting closer to, to Pierre Gasly? I think in terms of pace, yeah, he's he's a lot closer. He he
1: promised a lot in F two. You know, is one season there. He was very very quick off the pace, and it's you know it's no secret that he's a very quick driver. It's just that discipline he's not really had. And I know that Franz Toss is working working overtime to try and instil that bit of discipline and have him sort of on a a military schedule almost. Mm. But there still seems to be these just wild mistakes like canada was it silverstone that they they came together and, and, and gasly's maybe his head's dropped a little bit as well because the car's not really there it's not last year's car and he's doing like p5 p6 on the grid every weekend there seems to be just this difficulty in unlocking potential from it and then that really hurts you on a sunday as well for, for those who people who don't think qualifying is important you know for for a team like avatar it is it certainly is um so I, th- I think it's sort of a little bit of a mix of, Sonoda has improved, and a little bit
0: of the car's sort of a little bit of a leveler because it's not it's not great. Yeah, just the sniff of something better definitely does does spur you on. You've only got to look at Fernando Alonso in an F1 car to see that as soon as there's something there, you you know, then you're uh, you're you're fighting twice as hard. It seems, even though you think you're pushing all the time, just that sniff of something better does give you that impetus to push on. But um, someone who definitely would have been very low on motivation last year has—they lie seventh in the in the championship with thirty-four points, which is a massive improvement. But even that, to me, seems a little low considering how much pace they have shown. Just only one upgrade so far this year, from what I can understand. Is that accurate?
1: Yeah, they've had well, they've had a few little tiny bits and pieces just here and there, but it's not what one would call a big upgrade. And they finally brought one in Hungary and very, very Ferrari-esque in, in design, which is, you know, to be expected because, you know, Haas' design office is in Maranello now. Obviously, there's an, as you mentioned earlier, there's no crossover and anything like that. But, you know, it's Ferrari designers, you know, they're going to come up with a similar
0: car to the, they're, the main... They're not going to wander around the factory looking for memory sticks left on desks or anything, are they? <laughs> <laughs> or or, uh, or going to um,
1: photocopiers or anything oh. like that. <laughs> um, yeah no a copy isn't working yeah yeah nothing like that it, it's, it is interesting I, agree, I completely agree that they should have been more prolific for sure the car's clearly very good it turned up at the you know, pre-season testing and you couldn't really tell because this was pre magnussen you couldn't really tell where it was but you know he spoke very very highly of the car when he came in it looked good it's just there have been opportunities there and it's just not necessarily been taken advantage of mick schumacher has finally got off the off the mark but there's still loads of occasions this season where he's had chance for points and he's thrown it into the wall or something like that something heavy mm. like saudi or monaco canada canada wasn't really his fault to be fair but yeah there's just lots of opportunities that you can point out and say you know has could be on at least 60 points by now if things had gone the right way um
0: in recent Sorry. So I was just to say, yeah, and, and Kevin's not really been uh, blameless in this either, has he? He's made a few, a few driver errors and caused a few... Act- well, not caused a few, act- but been involved in a few pointless accidents, it seems.
1: Yeah, for sure. I, I do wonder if that's kind of rustiness uh, mm. after a year out of F1. I, I mean, you know, I guess you get a year to play that card and then next year you won't be able to fall back on that excuse. No. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, th- I think the car is clearly very good. There's also been lots of... Bit, um, of examples as well in recent rounds with grid penalties you know Maxson qualifying sixth in was it France and then he had a grid penalty something like that he was very very high up it's just they, they just haven't had the the luck let's say and they need a clean weekend and a weekend where both drivers show what the car's capable of it can be P7 P eight, and qualifying easily if they just hit all their marks right mm. and go off and uh get a nice haul of points that's what they should be doing each weekend I just think they're missing a lot of opportunities at the moment. Yeah.
0: I mean I think there's a lot to be said about that strategy. We have we've seen through F1 through the years this 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 constant upgrade train of just update after update coming in but uh, certainly the uh the approach that Mercedes went with last year and what has started with this year just understanding the concept of their car. There's something to be to be said in that and just really working with what you've got and is this something we could maybe see in the future of F1 almost like upgrade transfer windows effectively to cut down on costs.
1: Well, I think so. I think you're going to see a lot more of that in coming years as you know, we've got cost cap and things like that. And I'm surprised that teams have been able to be so prolific this year because they've been so restricted financially. I think there is an element to, to trying to understand their car. I do think they're also playing it a little bit safe because back in 2019, for example, that VF19 car was very, very quick off the mark, looked really, really good. Melbourne, really good result. And then everything they did to that car from there on, Uh, for the rest of the season just seemed to make it worse and they didn't know what they were doing with it now you know the design team is completely a different setup to what it was back then but i think maybe they're sort of a little bit once bitten twice shy about it It it's interesting to kind of see that I i do think it's sort of been quite a sort of pragmatic and prudent view of how to develop the car understand it sort of in its entirety before you do something to it but it does feel like you know playing it
0: safe a little bit, which maybe isn't what Formula One is about. maybe that's just what they can what they can do with their resource. Yeah, another another big performance gainer we've seen this year is Alfa Romeo up in sixth. Next team we're going to talk about thirty-four points. Uh, another team that's promised a lot at the start of the season, but we haven't really haven't really heard much from them in the way of updates either. And and again, another team that seems to have squandered good positions quite a few times. I mean, we were expecting to see Bottas on the podium potentially, but the way they started. But um, how have you seen their season, and how much have they done? Because visually, that for me, uh, my my very untrained eye, there's not been a huge amount of change on that car
1: no that hasn't there's been you know changes to front wings and floors and things like that kind of the usual it's been very conventional with regards to their upgrade path particularly you know when you consider this season and they're probably the bits that you want to change because they're the bits that you're trying to understand the most Hmm. so it's not really something that externally you can see a lot of because you know floor stuff you know that's all under the car but it's been a weird season, particularly at the start of the season as well. They had a lot of clutch issues. Um, and I, I still don't know whether that was a legacy of the Ferrari Power Train or whether it was a, a an Alfa Romeo or Salva Motorsport kind of mm. thing. But it, it does seem to be gone now. It did ensure that they squandered a few points at the start of the season. Juan jo for example, looked good for points in was it, Saudi Arabia, but... Mm clutch issues and then penalties that kind of put him in the cycle of you know falling down the field and then penalties and that kind of thing it was a bit of a nightmare but the car you know it began the season well it was the only car that made weight and every other team was that's why we got the the, the increase because every other team had not it still, still gives, can't believe
0: they did that <laughs>
1: it's yeah it's yeah. i mean if you're if uh you, if you subscribe to utilitarianism then you know it's a good thing but um it's you know for alfa romeo you know Sure, they get the advantage if they have extra three kilograms of where to put their ballast, but it's well, still, yeah, I suppose. it's still not much of an advantage. And it does seem that they've, if you look at Sauber results of old, back in the uh, the late nineties and early two thousands, they always started a season off really, really well, and then as their resources kind of, I guess, dried up for the year, and everyone else with bigger budgets and bigger teams were able to kind of keep things going there seems to be the sense of they're just going backwards a little bit and you know recent qualifying results of you know it's been difficult for bottas for example to get into q3 joe's out qualified him a couple of times as well mm. i think it Bottas is possibly the best marker on the grid of where a car is if it's a front runner he'll be there if it's midfield he'll be there if it's at the back he'll be there and so i think you just have to look at his performances and his results and how things are going and you know that car is sliding back to the cusp of the points but not actually getting within them at the moment which is a bit disappointing I think
0: yeah, it was again another another guy you were hoping to see another sort of Hamilton, Verstappen, Bottas podium at some point in the season. It Looked like it could have actually happened, but uh, but alas, uh, nothing so far. It's my beloved McLaren in in fifth place now with uh, ninety five points, we're clearly not as competitive as last year, but claiming not to be doing much more in the way of upgrades as well due to the uh, the the budget cap. How have you seen seen them? I mean, have they even brought much to the car? I know they had issues at the start of the season, but um, uh, again beyond that and. I, are they going for a similar technique as Haas, is just trying to understand the concept they've got? They have had a few big updates over the season. Just visually, it's not been so different.
1: There's been a lot of floor stuff. They have, have recently had sort of quite a big bodywork change. I think in I think it was Silverstone, it might have been France. I can't remember off the top of my head. But it was there does seem to be this sort of continuous change. But I don't think they're going to try and do too much more. But compared to where they started the season, it has been night and day for McLaren. At the start of the season was so poor couldn't even string three or four laps together in pre-season testing because the brakes in bahrain just weren't you know providing the stopping power that they needed and that carried through to the race and they finished what 14th and 15th for for norris to then get a podium shortly after that's you know that's it's a big turnaround and they're just slowly getting back to where they should be the new upgrade now it looks Like it's put McLaren sort of firmly in the top ten rather than sort of trickling in and out of it. Well, Norris in the top ten. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about that. Yeah, I'm sure we will. (laughs) Um, But um, there has been a a few, you know, a few changes. But I do think they're sort of trying to understand, I guess, where they went wrong this season, if anything, to to get it right for next year. It is probably no secret that the Mercedes isn't the potent power unit that it once was it's probably on a par with maybe the honda um so they don't have that massive advantage to fall back on the car has been good uh at times but it does seem to be very dependent on the circuit so i think we kind of have to wait and see over belgium and zandvoort and monza whatever the next rounds are too many of them <laughs> um, how how mclaren pans out how those new upgrades have worked um and if they can repeat their heroics at Monza this year,
0: um, it might be a little bit doubtful, but you know, we, we can but hope. That, that'd be, that be nice. Is it a good thing or a bad thing? Do you think that we've, we're finding teams that are, are running out of money so so early in the season there and, and teams like McLaren are, are having to halt their development, which is when you've got other teams that, that just seem to just keep, as you say early just reeling them up. Is that a good thing or a, or a bad thing for, for Formula 1? No. I think it's a classic uh management resource allocation
1: exercise okay. um you've got all of these management types coming in with their prince 2 diagrams of how do i allocate this resource like or well, this kind of budget that kind of thing and it's something that they're all they're all very bright people they all should be able to do it they all should be able to budget for repairs and that kind of thing say x crashes a year will cost x amount mountain repair damage i'm pretty sure Haas has wiped that out already this season through <laughs> mr schumacher but, you know, it's something that they should be on top of, you know, it's, it's basic. Is <laughs> what they teach you in first year of an engineering course at university and Formula One is populated full of engineers. So they should all know how to do it. I think people have just created a problem for themselves sometimes where they've maybe put too much money on the wrong thing. It's where you sort of put all your chips basically. And, you know, if you run out, you're getting thrown out of the casino, but yeah, it's it's basically where you what gives you the most bang for your buck, basically. And that's what all the teams should be striving to to work towards. Some teams will get it right this year and maybe get it wrong next year because they've backed the wrong horse. I think it's it is basically yeah. It's an interesting I think it's an interesting side plot to be honest with you. And I quite like it because it does reward those who maybe think outside the box a little bit and come up with a scenario mm. and you know, you've either
0: you've either got to back it or you haven't. It's no sort of halfway house, really. If only Eddie Jordan was still around, we could, uh, <laughs> I think he would really thrive in this generation of Formula One car. I think you'd see a you see a lot of uh, a lot of um, great updates from, him and just you know, just that 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 cost justification thing that Eddie Jordan did so well, They on wouldn't even budget. Be- they wouldn't even be running to the cap. Uh, I, think, I think he'd probably, do, probably try and do it on half.
1: And uh, he would have asked uh, all of his commercial guys to sell every inch of space on that car, which he notoriously did so well
0: yeah absolutely it's um moving on then to fourth place in on 99 points alpine uh looks like they've had a pretty good car all season it's been very very quick and there's been there's been times when it's been clearly the, the third fastest car especially in the early part of the season but other times it's uh it's been further further back down the grid but how's it all going for alpine for you That's what have, what have they brought to the table for innovation well alpine is uh, it's a strange team because it never seems to be very consistent.
1: You know, I think they're probably, if you look at sort of relative on pace, they're probably with McLaren, but they're having the higher heights, but I guess the lower lows as well, Bahrain excluded. It's been interesting because Alpine is sort of, it's very similar in design to what Red Bull has done. And it's been like that since the start of the season um, with regards to side pod design, with regards to kind of nose front wing design, all of that kind of thing um they can sort of plow their own furrow because they're the only team that are using the renault powertrains so they can sort of package it to the way what the the engine team can package it to the way the yeah the the race team needs they just kind of seem to be there or thereabouts and not really challenging for wins at the moment fernando alonso had a great uh qualifying performance in canada um but you know he still wasn't really in in the factor for the win there just seems to be sort of there doesn't seem to be that sort of final something extra from the Mm -hmm. team i think it's fair to say you know they're on they're on p4 p5 but there just doesn't seem to be that extra push to get into the top three let's say and it's really 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 strange and technically they seem to be very kind of reactive to what the other teams are doing with regards to, you know, let, let's use side pod design as an like, idea again, as an example again. They went for that sort of Red Bull style philosophy. And then they did something a little bit kind of similar with by creating a channel on top of the side pods, kind of like Ferrari did, mm. but it's still a sort of halfway between Ferrari and Red Bull design. And it seems to be, you know, just talking out, uh, about it sort of outwardly, this sort of desire to sort of sit in the middle and maybe sort of try and catch know good results here and there and, and and try and be that consistent force they're just not managing it at the moment so yeah it just seems to be like it's really hard to talk about alpy because yeah. um they're just kind of there
0: I do often wonder why people are fans of Alpine. I, I don't, <laughs> it, it, no, no, no kind of criticism of, of the team themselves but they just always just seem to be like they're a manufacturer, but they're not. You know, they they seem to have they, they they're a they're a big outfit, but they don't have the big budget that comes with the big outfit. And if you think back to 2018, they were fourth in 2018, and they're still on this this trajectory, this five year plan that's been going on for about ten years, and they're exactly where they were back in 2018. So it's it's kind of it's just a bit of an odd bomb, really for Alpine and i just don't understand like and again which we'll come to later with the the way they operate as as a uh, as, as a company just doesn't seem to doesn't seem to kind of personify what a you know, what a manufacturer should be in in Formula 1. And even like with the change to Alpine from Renault, I mean, who's realistically, apart from car boffins, who's really heard of Alpine before, you know, before the season? Renault, you can get behind Renault, the big car brand. But Alpine, it's like, you think they're a privateer, especially with the way that they run the team as well. (laughs) It's, Um, It's, it's, I think in terms of their team uh, uh,
1: there has been a sort of lot of management changes in the last few years and it just doesn't seem to have that continuity and i think that's where they struggle and they just seem to be getting on to you know they'll go up to p4 and then they'll have another change and they'll drop down the field again because someone else wants to do it a different way and they want to bring their own tech people in and new tech people new concepts and it just seems to be the sort of same thing over and over again uh, it's kind mm-hmm. of like groundhog day in a team
0: yeah. And uh, the, so moving on to the, the current champions, Mercedes, third place in the constructors at the moment with 304 points. We saw just how bad things could go wrong initially, uh, but they're now firmly seen to be competitive. Or do you think that's more just reliability and or is that concept just finally paying dividends?
1: Well, I think it's... it's I'm amazed that this is the first time I've said this word on this po- this tech podcast. They've got on top of their porpoising. Um, hey! so anyone that was had a bingo card out you can now drink uh you Mm -hmm. can now dab your dibber on the bingo card uh whatever (laughs) you do um it's it's that's the mercedes is the team i think that struggled most with it um the big thing about porpoising was a lot of different teams had it for different reasons Hmm. or maybe people didn't understand what they were doing i've heard so many different explanations for what can cause porpoising you know at the start people were saying you know the, the 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 venturi tunnels generating so much downforce and then that's f- causing a stall underneath and then the car bounces up and it's kind of this cyclical you know the c- cyclical aerodynamic force if you like but i've spoken to aerodynamicists since and they say it's not a function of that it's because the car is moving at the cars the sorry the airflow is passing underneath the car at its he frequency which is around five hertz so if the air traveler travels along the floor at a certain speed it can create that motion and because the suspension is so stiff there's nothing there to damp it so i'm still not 100 sure what's caused it but the team seem to have fixed it so that's good and mercedes spent so much time and effort and i think this is another sort of side plot of this season as well we spoke about resource management and when to bring updates and that kind of thing The teams that were on top of that at the beginning could just bring updates for performance. They didn't have to spend a load of time trying to dial out the corpsing with different things. And so they get to the end of it and they're like, we finally got rid of it. We don't have anything left to find performance with. Mm. Mercedes seems to have been able to kind of weather the storm and now now they're on the performance updates. Now they're, they're, they're getting on the juice, which is, I think, a good thing. But the thing is, it's really hard to see how good this w13 is because it's clearly the third fastest car we know that but it's so far ahead of everybody else on the grid Mm -hmm. that on their absolute worst days lewis hamilton could get out of the car and he'd look absolutely miserable and george russell will be (sighs) spitting feathers and not very happy and they would still be fifth and sixth on the grid or something like that and they'll still finish fifth and sixth from the race or they could have their best day and hamilton's day i've got everything out of that car george russell says i have got everything out of that car and they'll be fifth and sixth because they just don't have enough to get after Ferrari red bull at the moment um it's a really interesting concept though the those side pods the the zero pod as some people are calling them and i don't think mercedes even though if it's the best strategy the best uh, design for them i'm sure they're going through lots of different things for 2023 um it is it's is good to see someone come up with something absolutely mad um when i first saw it, it looked it reminded me of the um 1991 uh lamborghini f1 car with mm-hmm. the triangular side pods and i i, and I just liked that uh, whether it works or not
0: we'll find out if it's on the car now year basically I just, I just remember that i was waking up at like four in the morning to all these rumors that the mercedes were we're going to be running with outside pods and and then i was i was i was at work at like um at like six seven o'clock in the morning like try, trying to get on to, to sky go and and, and ha- have a look at the start of, pra- of, uh, of practice just to uh, the start of uh, testing just to see if this was if these rumors were true and and sure enough there they were not quite zero n- no pods but certainly very very minimal pods and then everyone was then straight away at even Easy walk for Lewis Hamilton for the championship, and I, I think it was Sean Kelly on Twitter put out, just said, um, you do know that you know this might not actually work. We haven't seen it on track yet, so why everyone's uh, saying saying oh it's not fair and everything? Let's just see if it works first before we start overreacting. And, and sure enough, yeah, it was. Uh, it was a very flawed concept, and they have said that they're going to be they're going to be changing the way the car looks next year, from what I've heard already. But whether that means they're dropping that philosophy or just tweaking it slightly, I, I'm not sure. But um, but it's it's been it's been a bit of a roller coaster for them, and um. And uh, yeah, it's uh, you said a lot of words I didn't quite understand as well around the whole <laughs> porpoise thing. So I hope I hope uh, those listening at home have uh, have, uh, have understood that as well. And you can you can always go to Google and and look up those words because I have no idea what they meant. But um, moving on to Ferrari, unbelievably, uh, still second in the constructors, 334 points. I'm just going to wedge my tongue th- firmly in my cheek here and say, surely with a car that's now two positions better off than it was this time last year, they can be very happy and done a great job well you'd think that i think it is a
1: testament to how much progress
0: ferrari made over the last couple of
1: years that everyone's disappointed where they are because clearly that car is very very quick mm. which was funny because i saw uh, a certain technical writer who shall remain nameless it wasn't me um, they, you know, they said, you know, that Ferrari doesn't look quick. How are they going to find performance out of it? That kind of thing. And yet it seems to, you know, it should be the car that's getting all of these wins. You know, it's, it's fantastic in qualifying. It's fantastic on these low speed circuits. Monaco should have been an absolute Ferrari walk and it wasn't. It's the team seems to be doing a fantastic job of taking this great car and just Wasting every opportunity that comes with it, and it's a real shame to see because we could have had such a brilliant title battle this year, and it just seems to be one-way traffic at the moment because you know Ferrari have the pet pay- all the gear, but no idea really. It, it, you know, it probably sounds harsh, but it's, it's how
0: it is. Yeah, um, I mean, it certainly looked like an neat and tidy package at the start of the season, but then uh, as things develop, you know, just the the car itself has just been phenomenally quick, but. uh the team itself, the the, the people, uh, seem to be the problem. Certainly, the the drivers have been making errors. The teams have been making errors. It's just been just one thing after another, really. It seems to be that there's no it, sense of togetherness.
1: I guess uh, it seems to be divided, and the drivers are sort of having to make their own calls because they can't trust the strategists. But the drivers, you know, they're making, as you say, they're making their own mistakes as well. And it's a shame because when I saw the car originally, I was like, this is this is properly mid 90s and i love it i want i hope it's quick because it will give us a really good championship battle and it looks so good at the start but unfortunately it's just not gone the right way um and you know i could talk for days about the the technical capabilities of it but unfortunately when you're squandering a package that good it's just it's upsetting
0: Yeah, I've heard a few people say, "Give Mercedes that car, and we've got a cracking championship on our hands." And uh, I, I completely agree with that. It's uh, it's been a it's just been one calamity after another, and uh, we can just sit here and bag on Ferrari all we want, but uh, but it's not really going to change anything. But uh, I just I can't see this championship actually leading to anything in the second half of the season, unfortunately. And and part of me kind of the the um, <laughs> I don't know it's it's, it's weird to say a, a part of me kind of wants it to get worse because it would just be hilarious to see Mercedes overtake Ferrari with the package that they've had but, uh, <laughs> but equally as well I, I kind of I feel bad for, for Leclerc and Sainz as well Sainz one of my favourite drivers and, and I massive respect for Leclerc's ability and he's just having a championship taken away from him at the moment and certainly not a guaranteed championship but certainly a fight for a championship has been just ripped away from him and it, and it's and it's Ferrari's fault and it's uh, it's it's the people more than more than the uh you know the the car itself the car is phenomenal they've done an amazing job with that car but but yeah it's just it's just embarrassing but um i promise there'll be no more ferrari negativity <laughs> but we'll move on to to red bull then the car you know rightly or wrongly 431 points max Verstappen 80 points clear in the in the championship and uh, and with just more and more streams of updates coming uh, where do they go from here because, you know, I mean, I suppose they've got to try and get at least 90 points ahead because Christian Horner said they're going to be missing three races because of the budget cap. So, you know, <laughs> surely where do they go from here?
1: Well, as much as we like to rip on Ferrari, um, that's not to say that Red Bull hasn't done a fantastic job because they absolutely have. And this year's RB18 is a neat, tidy package. It just out so out of the box, they got it open kick the car out of the door and it just seemed to work really really well honda's done a fantastic job with that red bull powertrains engine it and as you say all of these streams of updates are coming red bull had a very clear concept in mind when it was developing this car and it seems to have kind of been the right horse to back and sure they've had to make a few changes here and there but it just seems to be a really good all-rounder with massive top-line pace And as i say you know that, that that engine is, is something else um compared to everybody else and, it, and the car as well seems to have sort of been built around that pace and it's very very interesting to kind of see the parallels uh well not not parallels and such but um the opposite in the mm. red Bull for so many years was this force that was fantastic in the corners but through the speed trap it was usually one of the lowest teams whereas now it's you know it's absolutely the quickest team on the straights but it seems to be able to pair that with performance everywhere else <laughs> and and that's great it shows that you can as much as you have to compromise in f1 you really can do it all and i think you know max Verstappen as well year after you know he's, he's won the title now it just seems to have been the sort of pressure off his shoulders and he's just he's just better this year 100 better and you know maybe it's because he's not got someone fighting him for track space every weekend but it just seems to be you know if you were describing him as a footballer he'd be an absolute rolls royce uh it just seems to be calm <laughs> uh, collected and just doing everything that he needs to every single weekend and that's winning him the title as, as much as the ferrari uh mess ups
0: yeah, and as well, he seems to be pairing that kind of explosivity to uh, to just this mature performance as well. He's kind of like, for me, you know, sh- showing my age here. He kind of he's kind of um, Rude van Nistelrooy meets Dennis Bergkamp now. So he's, he just seems to be this like this complete finished article. And uh, for, certainly, I, I've I've been a, a critic of of Verstappen. I do think part of what he's we've seen from him this year has been down to the fact that he hasn't got. Um, he's not really in a championship fight, which seems odd to say, considering he's leading the championship. But he's uh, he's not really had to fight, and that early part of the season where he didn't, you know, he wasn't fighting hard with Charles, he didn't need to at that point because it was so early in the season. If it was a tighter championship battle, we may see something different. But it's he certainly has kind of I mean this might prove to him that he doesn't need to be the win or bin driver he can be that mature driver and you know it that's a it's a daunting prospect for Formula One that you know Verstappen might be maturing and if that's the case we might see another Michael Schumacher situation or Lewis Hamilton situation of recent years but it's normally about now I would I would ask for your predictions for the uh, um, for the drivers championship but uh, I, instead I think I'm going to ask what race is it going to be wrapped up in because I'm pretty sure you're going to say it's Verstappen winning the championship
1: <laughs> oh, good question uh what have we got left i don't think it'll be the won't be the next three i
0: think japan is the earliest he can do it
1: i think okay what have we got left brazil is brazil a good shout maybe I, I don't I don't know what the calendar is let me have a look this is very professional of me by the yeah, way
0: i don't actually have it up
1: to be honest i should have had it up really but uh no I, I didn't expect to asked this question to be honest sorry i should have primed you on that <laughs> yeah it's all good um so now uh, brazil's a little bit late actually yeah. for shock let's say us i reckon actually nice yeah. nice party in texas um he'll drink a few 40s that night
0: <laughs> yeah i was thinking something similar i think japan might be a little too soon i think japan is when he can win it if he wins every race and leclerc finishes second i think that's that's where he can do it based on that because he can win it early. I'm sure he can win it a lot earlier than Japan if, because uh, that's only because he's, he's got nearly a three-race gap now, and J- Japan is, is the fifth from last race. So. Yeah, I, I think it's gonna be. I think it's gonna be Japan. I'm gonna go with Japan. I think it's gonna be. It's gonna get worse for Ferrari before it gets better. So that's <laughs> that's my prediction. But uh, we'll move on to the the tabloid gossip now. This is what uh, um, a lot of people want to hear. So it's um, Fernando Alonso dropped the dropped the hand grenade in the uh, in the uh, in the room and then went off doing selfies in Oviedo. And uh, he's definitely turned El Plan into El Pain this summer. Um, what's your uh, What's your opinion on the moves? And, you know, first of all, with um, with Vettel's retirement and then the shock, the shock move for Alonso. Is it good? Is it bad? Is it is it just money? <laughs> I think. Well, let's let's
1: start. I guess let's start with Vettel. Um, it, when I said Aston Martin needs something big this year, I think it needs something big as well to keep Vettel interested as well, hmm. because he's clearly a man that's got a lot of, you know, as, as he said in his in his exit video, if you like, you know, he he's, he's got a young family and he wants to be there for them, and I think. We're looking at maybe 23 24 races next year and that's a massive time commitment and you don't want really want to be away from your family that long um especially you know his point in his career but also just considering the performance of the car aston martin sort of it's still in its kind of infancy of having all of this money and working out what to do with it and i just i think vettel's just kind of lost the love for it let's say and he wants to go and do other things and you know he's he's got a lot of uh, humanitarian causes that he wants to, to to work on and and global issues as well that he wants to to raise awareness of, and I think he's just kind of from that kind of perspective just outgrown F one for a little bit for a bit now, and um, I think it's it's the right call for him. Um, you know, sticking with Aston Martin and and. and it's tough to see where that would go for him so yeah i think it's definitely the right call um i don't know if he realized how much of a knock-on impact it would have yeah. um <laughs> but he's you know he's 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 really sort of throwing a spanner in the works with his call for alonso i think a lot of it was down to the fact that even though he's in his 40s now he still wants to keep going and he's, he feels competitive and i think that's the main thing And he feels that he can still do the job he can still race in formula one and still feels that he's one of the best in the game alpine was wasn't willing to kind of give him anything beyond a one-year deal because obviously also they thought uh they have piastri in the wings and he's the (laughs) you know the next big hope and you know they didn't want to have uh alonso around and blocking a blocking a space basically so, Fernando took his future into his own hands. Whether you think it's a sort of classic Alonso driver market blunder where he's joined a really uncompetitive team, we'll have to wait and see. It kind of looks like that on the face of it. But I think he just wanted to keep going. And maybe he buys into the project. Maybe he's been given a very a, a huge
0: war chest to to tempt <laughs> him there. I think it's Start- a little start his own indie car team to win the five hundred in a couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> well, well we'll see, we'll see.
1: We'll see. Um I think he wasn't he didn't like the idea of sort of being pensioned off to Alpine's LMDH project or whatever, whenever that's going to happen. I don't think he liked that. I think he wanted to stay in Formula One and can and continue to show something. And sure, I'm sure the money would have been a-, a nice sort of sweetener for him, but ultimately he wanted to stay around for a couple more years than just twenty twenty three.
0: I think the company car probably paid some uh, some uh, <laughs> some um definite uh, sway in that decision as well. I wouldn't mind just going back to Vettel quickly because I heard a rumor, uh, I don't know how serious it was, about uh, and you're a perfect person to ask this, about Vettel to DS the cheetah uh, in replace of Jev. Is that something that you could see <laughs> happening or or is that is that a bit wild? That I doubt that will happen. I can explain why. It's it's It will pour
1: a lot of cold water on it. So basically, uh, a couple of months ago, the DS to Cheetah team principal, Thomas Chabosche, did say, you know, if Sebastian wanted to test the Formula E car with us, we'd be happy to sort of let that happen. But you know that's you know if you're testing somebody you'd love to have someone in in your car and get the free marketing out of it you know it's i think it's just sort of like an open opportunity but equally there's some sort of movements going on in the background of formula E where DS and Cheetah don't look like they'll be sort of continuing together DS is yeah. going on to join uh going to tie up with Dragon that's the that's the idea Cheetah therefore has to kind of do its own thing i don't think it would have the money to to hire Vettel uh, as an independent so, I think unlikely. Yeah, I, th- I think yeah. very, very unlikely that Vettel will will be racing anything yeah. next year.
0: So not even just Formula E in general. Not even uh, like not not the new McLaren team or anything like that. I don't.
1: I I don't think Formula E's let's say profile is big enough. And you know the teams are operating on. There's a sort of there's a there's a kind of nominal cost cap in place now. Anyway, um, mm. I think it operates so around. 13 14 million a season million dollars a season or million pounds i'm not 100 sure on the dominant dom- uh, denomination so i don't think anyone can really afford him to be honest with you and getting him interested in formula e after being in formula one for so long i think it's a bit of a stretch to be honest
0: yeah fair enough fair enough I, I sorry just, everybody yeah i just i just wanted to just kind of uh just think about that because it certainly would fit in with the green initiatives <laughs> but uh yeah it's uh it, it's, it was just a rumor but um we'll crack on then with with the with the last things there so obviously you said about they had piastri in the it waiting in the wings to to re- take over from alonso and yeah and then you know at the alex Pelot part two you know again with the tweet coming out and this time mclaren you know Going short of actually announcing Piastri, but there's no other team he would have gone to realistically that's uh, anywhere near the performance of Alpine, is there? And and I I don't understand that this. So obviously uh, the background to this is is Piastri has, has tweeted that he said he absolutely will not be driving for for Alpine next season, which cast doubts over Ricardo's future. The option is definitely in Ricardo's favour. And um, and yeah, it's it's just a very strange situation. And so, what's what's your thoughts on that? And how do you think it's going to pan out? Well, I think when you look at it, I don't hundred percent
1: know what Piastri's contractual obligations to Alpine were, but it does seem to suggest that he wasn't at any point under contract for for, for 2023. Whether Alpine had neglected to take up an option, whether it had missed a deadline, we don't hundred percent know yet, but it does seem uh, pretty clear that piastri is is a free agent for 2023 now alpine's plan was to get him in the williams alongside alex albon for next season that was their plan the thing is piastri and piastri's manager mark weber weren't particularly keen on that because you know you, you stick him in the back of the red car and it's what it's going to be a george russell situation where he's there for like 2 or 3 years and he, you know maybe he's showing some good results but he's you know by year 2 or year 3 kind of wasting away at that point it's kind of where do you play for actually quite a while and they were just trying to see what the the ricardo situation was whether mclaren would be basically interested and mclaren was like yeah because ricardo's been there for nearly two years he's not been particularly impressive he's not matched up to norris uh last year's monza win aside And I think Zach Brown just prefers having a younger driver in the team, a cheaper driver in the team, uh, although they'll have to spend a lot of money to buy Ricardo out, which it looks like they'll do. So I think although people are taking the, the mickey out of McLaren on social media for basically saying, oh, they've just signed everybody and they'll work it out later. I think it's a great bit of business for them because in Piastria, they'll have somebody who's so good. And the Alpine is just, I guess, neglected almost in a sense because they've, Had this great talent under their nose and they've been kind of too busy being swayed by having alonso in the team and it turned out that alonso made the decision for them anyway so it's just a weird situation i think alpine has just mismanaged massively i think mclaren has just been the ultimate opportunist in trying to get him on board um i'm pretty sure that ricardo won't be racing for them next season uh whether it'll be in an alpine um we'll see but yeah, I think it's just that's kind of the, the cut and thrust of it, really. Yeah, uh, mm. I think, yeah, I just think it's, you know, smart on McLaren's hands to be opportunistic and Alpine to have just sort of been caught napping, really.
0: Yeah, I don't think it's anything to do with Alonso's great friend, Mark Webber. As he, uh, <laughs> have, have they been working together to bring down Alpine from the inside? I have heard that one. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it would be, you know, because obviously I don't, uh, Vettel and Webber are old teammates
1: as well. They didn't like each other at the time, but they get on fantastically now. Mm. You know, it could be just... This great orchestrated, um, <laughs> you know, movement to get Piastri in an F1 seat. You know, stranger things have happened. I think there's sort of one thing about this that irks me. I think I've seen a lot of sort of comment, and I know is what I get for looking at social media. But there have been a lot of people that have taken it person taken this personally, and they're you know big Ricardo fans and that kind of thing. And it's like, well, ultimately, he's not been performing and. Mm-hmm if you're a, a manager of a football team and you're, you know, your star striker's not performing, you bench him, you, you know, you don't put him in the squad and you give someone else a run with formula one. It's different because these drivers are on massive contracts and there's nobody kind of else. They can't really switch people on and off. You know, football players don't have, I must play a certain amount of games for this club. Whereas a driver will have a no contract. I must do the whole season. Hmm. So McLaren hasn't really had an option to get rid of Ricardo and as I say he's not been performing and if it was a football team you know he'd be benched and he'd probably be sold or something like that if he didn't get his act together Um, and that's ultimately what's what's going to happen but in this case you know if Alpine doesn't want to pay the transfer fee to get Ricardo then McLaren will just have to buy him out of it so you know it's, it's it's analogous to other sports let's say
0: so, do you, are you of the opinion that he's going to end up at Alpine, or can you see maybe a Joe making a return to Alpine and and uh, Ricardo going to to Alpha Romeo or anything like that? Uh,
1: I think I think Alpha Romeo's been pretty happy with Joe and they'll keep him. Don't see Alpine trying to get him back. Ricardo would be a tempting option for them. I think the way he left last time, maybe he felt there was like a little bit of unfinished business, so maybe he'd want to go back. <laughs> I think he's probably the biggest ticket driver that Alpine could get because I don't really know what the other options are for them. There's Jack Dewan in in F2, who's an Alpine young driver. Who else have they got? It's not a very, you know, the the bench looks thinner the more you look at it because, you know, Piastri's gone, Joe has gone his, uh, his own way, Alonzo's not on the team anymore. Who's, you know, who's next on the sort of Alpine academy conveyor belt?
0: Yeah, yeah, you'd have se- to probably
1: say Jack Doohan.
0: Yeah, it seems to have gone from uh, an absolute embarrassment of riches at the Alpine Driver Academy to just really, really slim pickings in, in a matter of weeks. It's just to lose the two most promising drivers. No disrespect to Esteban Ocon, but, you know, Alonso was the big ticket draw and, and Piastri was the future. That was always going to be, you know, Ocon was going to be the teammate to those two. And, and now they just ended up with nothing. But I think we, we're going to have to wrap it up there because we've pretty much gone, gone over already. But I'll just ask you, what's your, um, everyone at home, what's your thoughts on, to, on the topics we've discussed today? Let us know your opinions. And we do read all of them and we love a good debate. Just keep it nice and friendly and jovial. You can follow us on Twitter at F1 Chronicle and I'm at Tom Horrocks F1 if you want to follow me. Jake, where can people hear and read more from you? uh they can sign up for an autosport plus subscription uh, nice plug nice plug nice plug
1: <laughs> yeah so you can follow you know autosport and autosport live throughout the weekend if you want the updates from all the races they happen and i'm uh at jbl autosport on twitter if you want to follow me for motorsport based rubbish
0: i usually <laughs> post and I do recommend listening to, uh, to the Autosport podcast as well. They've got a great range of podcasts out there and covers all kinds of motorsport. So I, I recommend that as well. Uh, thank you very much to you, Jake. And thank you to our audience as well. We will be back very soon with more mid-season content and we look forward to seeing you then. Goodbye for now.